we live in the most narcissistic culture like imaginable because nowadays we're just comparing our behind the scenes with other people's highlight reels at unfair intervals. This is Charisma Connection. I'm Chris Johnson. Today I have the privilege of speaking with Ben Corson. Ben is founder of Hope Generation, which is a media ministry that has a global TV and radio program. He has a TV show that airs in 180 countries, so uh, he's uh, kind of busy, I think. And on top of that, he's a teaching pastor at Applegate Christian Fellowship in Oregon, in Southern Oregon. And he has a new book out called and I better say this slowly so everybody gets it. Optimisfits, igniting a fierce rebellion against hopelessness. Optimisfits, now I'm not gonna make everybody spell that. I'm not even gonna try to spell it myself. But Ben, we welcome you to Charisma Connection. Oh, I'm so excited to be here. Yeah, if you put in optimistics on your words on your word document, your spell check's going to go into spasms. So <laughs> people who are listening, like if they're wondering if that's a real word, no, we actually made it up. So, <laughs> but you you phonetically pronounced it right, so I'm impressed. <laughs> okay, well, uh, could you tell us what an optimist is and and how you identify with being one? Yeah, so an optimist is just like it sounds. It's an optimistic misfit. So it's somebody who lives as a nonconformist adventurer with reckless wonder, wild abandon, uh, childlike faith, and unapologetic sacred optimism. So uh, an, an optimist is somebody who says, okay, we look at the stats today that, you know, there are more suicides than homicides in America today. Like there, suicide is one of the top 10 leading causes of death. Globally, people commit suicide once every 40 seconds. Uh, 123 times per day in America alone, nationally. And so we look at the fact that the sociological data and research tells us that our generation, Gen Z and Gen Y, is the most depressed ever on record. So we want to rebel against those statistics. We want to be misfits and be ridiculously hopeful in a society that is racked by despair. Well, that's certainly an amazing goal. Ben, do you ever watch the news? Uh, actually, well, I mean, I, I try to keep my finger on the pulse of the news, but I try not to watch too much of the news because, uh, the news generally leads with negative stories because neurologically bad news sticks to the brain like Velcro, whereas good news falls through the brain like water through a sieve. In fact, um, like if you're on Facebook and you get 10 comments and nine are nice and one is mean, you're just thinking about the mean one. That's how we all are. And so, uh, the news mediums know this. So, they repeat their own news feed every 30 minutes and generally lead with negative news. So that's why I try not to fill my head with too much news because bad news sells. That's what sticks to the brain like Velcro. And in order to even assimilate good news into our psychological constitution, cranial package and cerebral gray matter, scientists tell us we have to meditate on it for 15 seconds for it to even stick at all. Whereas bad news sticks right away, which is why these news mediums usually lead with bad news. Well, news can be depressing, and so can social media. Uh, we're, we're kind of a self-obsessed culture, aren't we? Yeah, we live in the most narcissistic culture like imaginable because nowadays we're just comparing our behind the scenes with other people's highlight reels at unfair <laughs> intervals. Like, I'll watch somebody else's story of them partying while I'm stuck at a red light. So I'm watching the highlight of someone else's day at the most boring lull in my own day. 
And so, and, and, and those people are also doing that when they're watching my stories, only the other way around, vice versa. And so, um, yeah, we, we live in an age that's, it's been said, women used to have to live up to models they saw in magazines, in convenience stores. Nowadays, women just have to live up to their own Facebook profile. And like men have to just live up to their own Instagram profile. Uh, and so we're creating this image to the world that isn't necessarily true to who we really are. And this self-obsession to create an idealized form of ourselves to make a persona can be very difficult to live up to and is creating a lot of depression. Sociologists tell us social media is one of the primary chief reasons why we're such a depressed culture and society. Well, there are advantages to social media, but there are plenty of disadvantages, that's for sure. Now, Ben, tell me, have you always been a happy camper? No, not at all. That's why I'm so passionate about it. And that's why, like you said, you know, social media can be used for good things. We try to use our social media to literally every day post something about hope to encourage people because people need it so much. And I'm one of those people. Like, I wasn't always a happy camper. I mean, nowadays, I guess sometimes when people meet me, they're like, oh, you're just like, you just eat unicorn fur and rainbow sandwiches and, you know, Pegasus steak and everything rains jelly beans and Skittles every day. But the fact of the matter is it wasn't always that way for me. Like I wasn't always sun and fun, seven on the Enneagram. Like back in the day, I used to struggle with suicidal depression. I even took up a knife to kill myself. I went through 10 years of chronic depression. And, um, you know, like, like everybody, I've gone through stuff. My, my brother died. My sister died in a car accident as well. My dad's first wife died. Um, I went through a romantic heartbreak a couple of years ago that made me think I'd never be happy again. We just go through stuff. And so when God healed my heart, when Jehovah Rapha applied the healing balm of Gilead to my wounds and really started putting the broken pieces of my heart back together, um, I was on a mission to then share that message with the rest of the world. So it, this, this message is kind of wounds turned into wisdom. Uh, the optimist fits hope message isn't just so much hear my words. It's more like what Jesus said, touch my wounds. And um, I hope that the tears I've cried will help you join your tears to the tears of God. Well, that's beautiful how God has redeemed those things in your life. Now, you Oh, yeah, absolutely. You mentioned a few optimistic heroes of yours in one of the chapters of this book. Could you fill us in on some of who they are? Yeah, uh, one of them is actually a military general Alexander the Great, I mean, he would literally travel around with a copy of Homer's Iliad and compare himself to the mythological hero Achilles, who was a demigod, and try to surpass his own feats. And he did exceed his achievements. And then he conquered, um, you know, northern India and the Persian Empire uh, in 10 years and died at 32 years old. So he, he's one of them, somebody who, when somebody told him it, something was impossible, he saw it as a dare rather than a declaration. And he actually said, the more impossible a thing is, the more it should be done. Um, another one is, is G.K. Chesterton. I talk about him as an optimistic hero. Like G.K. Chesterton was a big, fat, like jolly Santa Claus of metaphysics. In British Victorian, like stoicism society, he would come in with this joyful, literate message. And he would debate George Bernard Shaw, who was the famous playwright. And like they would have the craziest debates uh, and they would always like joke around with each other in an era that was so tight-lipped in England. Like, for example, um, Chesterton was very happy and fat. George Bernard Shaw was very skinny and sickly and pessimistic. And uh, like one time Chesterton saw Shaw and he said, I see there's been a famine in the land. 
And then Shaw replied to Chesterton, and I see the cause of it. Or like another time, uh, Chester, Shaw said to Chesterton, if I were as fat as you, I'd hang myself. And, and Chesterton said to Shaw, and if I were to hang myself, I'd use you as the rope. Because he was like so skinny and Chesterton was so fat. And like they would, he, 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 he had this great line where he said, angels can fly because they take themselves lightly. That's what Chesterton said. So he brought in this jubilant joy into the pessimistic, perspective of George Bernard Shaw and would publicly debate for hope and defend the truth against all comers. So he's another optimistic hero. And I mean, there's a ton more, but um, those are, that's just kind of a sneak preview of some of my optimistic heroes historically. Uh, that's very interesting that you would choose some of those historic characters. So because this is Charisma Podcast Network, uh, let's talk about what you call the religious optimists. Who are these people? Yeah, well, one of the things that I think can drive people away from faith and a genuine spiritual encounter with God is uh, the religiosity and churchianity that can put band-aids onto gaping wounds. And so I try to distinguish between like the, the churchianity religious optimism that so often can be out in the weeds or the, the deep weeds of left field, the tall grass. And by that I mean when people are going through genuine suffering and they just say, well, God is good all the time, brother, and all the time God is good. And that's true. God is good all the time. But sometimes these, these Band-Aids on gaping wounds uh, don't heal. They, they actually can, can make us feel like we're misunderstood or like our pain is somehow sinful or depression. If you struggle with it, that means you're somehow doing something wrong. And so um, I try to destigmatize depression when sometimes in, in the church— it can be looked at in, as like something that's anathema or taboo or something that you're, you shouldn't touch with a 10-foot pole. And so I really try to, to distinguish between an optimist, but somebody who isn't religious in the sense that they're not out to follow rules and regulations. They're out for a relationship and sonship with God, to be chill with the Almighty and besties with the Maker. So I think it's very important to distinguish between relationship and sonship. I, I heard my friend Sean, who's one of the main characters of Optimist Fits, Describe it this way. Religion says, I messed up, don't tell dad. Sonship says, I messed up, I better call dad. <laughs> In other words, religion drives you away from, from the father, uh, but relationship actually makes you run to the father to find mercy and help in time of need. And you have some very brief chapters on religion. We should not say more, yeah. should we? <laughs> yeah. well, well, I'll tell you what, like, when sometimes people ask me how short some of the chapters are, they don't believe me because I'm like, one of the chapters is two, two, two words. So uh, they're like, no and way. And it's not like, Jesus wept. It's not Jesus wept, believe okay. it or not. So, yeah, there's some short chapters in there. <laughs> well, uh, one of the things that you say in uh, page 91, it says, your superpowers are trust and dependence. I love that. Sometimes you have quite the turn of phrase here. Well, I, I love how, um, you know, the Bible says that we are more than conquerors, but actually in the Greek, the literal translation is you are super over overcomers. Hmm. So that's the phrase, super over overcomers, which doesn't really make sense in English as much. That's why it's translated more than conquerors. Um, because the truth is, like the Bible portrays us as having one on our team who's braver than Batman, stronger than Superman, 
more indomitable than Iron Man, more audacious than Ant-Man, more awesome than Aquaman. He's called the Son of Man, Jesus. And he says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And I love you to death on the cross, which means the Father's loving kindness is better than life. So your superpowers are trust and dependence upon the one who has overcome the world. Amen to that. Now, we've talked a bit about depression. What about something else that can lead to depression, like failure? What do we do when we feel like a failure? Yeah, I always like to remind people with failure, the the book of Proverbs says the righteous may fall seven times, but they will rise again. Just as in Acts, Jesus is called the righteous one, and he bled on the cross from seven places, the crown of thorns on his head, a nail through each hand, the spear on the side, the whip on the back, the nail through each foot, but then he rose again. So the righteous one bled from seven places, but rose again, just as the ancient proverb in the Old Testament said. So what's interesting to me is, like, historically, the greatest characters often were the worst failures. Like, Abraham Lincoln lost an embarrassing eight elections, couldn't get into law school, failed at business twice, and had a nervous breakdown before he became our 16th president. Like, Beethoven was told by his music teacher that he was a hopeless composer. Thomas Edison was told by his school teacher that he was too stupid to learn anything. Walt Disney was fired by a newspaper editor because he, quote-unquote, lacked imagination and had no good ideas. Like, Winston Churchill failed the sixth grade. On and on these stories go. Uh, You know, James Dyson, before he perfected the Dyson vacuum, created 5,127 different prototypes. Dr. Seuss, his first book was rejected by 27 different publishers. Uh, Vincent Van Gogh sold only one painting in his entire life. Babe Ruth struck out 1,330 times. Picasso created 50,000 works of art, and only 100 of those were masterpieces. So, like, I try to uh, draw this parallel between all these failures in history with these characters in the Bible, like David, who was a murderer, and Elijah, who was moody, and Moses, who had temper problems, and Peter, who denied Jesus three times when a little girl peer pressured him, to try to show people that just because you fail, that doesn't that doesn't mean you can't be great. In fact, we can fail forward and really fail our way into greatness. Because my argument is, is that we might fail, but God's love never fails, and that's what counts. And every failure we learn from is a step toward the victory. So good to be reminded of that. And you call yourself an official fun-haver. How is that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I like to go by that title, professional fun-haver, official fun-haver, because I believe that fun is fundamental. You know, Jesus put the fun back in funeral. He caused the dead to raise, the lame to leap, the blind to see, the mute to speak, the deaf to hear, the lost to get found. And wherever Jesus went, he had an, he had an ability to heal the hurting, um, to, to find the lost, to, to give hope to the heartbroken. And so I believe that it's not only going to be fun to change the world, but fun is the very thing that will set that change in motion. Because our generation has lost fun. I mean, I don't, I don't, you don't have to look very far to just, you know, see that most people, most of us are spending our lives scrolling rather than actually living. We're spending our lives comparing with one another rather than genuinely connecting with each other. And so um, what I really advocate is this lifestyle of fun, where it's fun with meaning, where we show people that a life of hope can actually be experienced when we go on adventures with God and adventures with squad. Mm-hmm. Well, Ben, what else would you like to share with us about this book and how it came about? Yeah, so uh, I actually wrote the entire book from my iPhone. 
Because mm. I'm like, if this is going to be a book about being a misfit, like I want to be a misfit and write the whole book for my iPhone. And uh, the, the book really is, is meant for people who've been burned out by religion, like the people who don't feel like they quite fit in to the religious atmosphere or maybe have been hurt by the church. Um, but also people who are still looking for genuine optimism who aren't going to say, you know, I'm just going to succumb to pessimism and I'm going to be a cynical, jaded, you know, um, woe-begotten curmudgeon. But rather somebody who says, you know what, I'm not going to fit into the religion of, uh, of, of churchianity where, where it, you know, goes to legalism or Phariseeism, but nor am I going to go to this skeptical, cynical, well, I just am going to point my finger at everyone who's doing it wrong, um, nor am I going to succumb to the corporate American dream where it's just, you know, you have to work 40 hours a week for 40 years to retire on 40% of your income to get your 401k, your dog named Spot, your 2.5 kids, your white picket fence, get a timeshare on Palm Springs, tool around in your golf cart for two years, and then claim your spot in the cemetery. Like, if, if you're saying, man, none of that really fits me, neither the jaded cynicism, the religious churchianity, the corporate American dream, and yet you still want to live a life of fanatical, absurd hope, that's who this book is for. It's a different approach to life where you live life not with some tempered optimism, but fanatical, fantastical Jesus joy. And so this book is uh, basically just a hope book, and it comes from my own experience of how God healed my heart, and I hope that it can help heal others' hearts as well. So it's not just enthusiasm you have drummed up for this podcast. It's hope that you found in God. You've got that Jesus joy. Would you now pray for our listeners that they would find it too? Absolutely. Lord, I just thank you so much that Paul got it right. He said in Romans fifteen thirteen, Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And I just pray that every listener, you would fill them with hope today. I think of what Paul said in Romans 5, we glory in tribulation, because tribulation produces patience, patience produces experience, experience produces hope, and hope never maketh ashamed, because of the love of God spread abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. So I just pray that you would encourage each listener that you can redeem the bad stuff, that not all things are good, but all things work together for the good because you are good. and You cause our pain to make us stronger, our tears to make us braver, our heartbreak to make, make us wiser. And one day we're going to thank our past for a better future. So I just pray for those who are listening, who are hurting, that you would give them hope. For those who've been rejected by religion, that you would give them a sense of belonging. There's no place like hope. For those who've got jaded and cynical, that you would take them back to childlike wonder. For those that don't fit in with society, I pray that they would remember they weren't meant to fit in, but to stand out. So I pray for hope. I pray hope over every listener today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So where can people find out about you and your ministry and your, your books? Yeah, so all my stuff's just at my website, bencorson.com. Um, and then, yeah, you can get my book at Amazon, uh, or you can get Optimistics at Barnes & Noble or wherever books are sold. And uh, yeah, and then all of our social media is called Hope Generation. So if you need some hope on social media, rather than feeling the need to compare all the time or simply scroll, but find something that will help you to, you know, get out and live more. That's our goal at Hope Generation uh, that you can also find on social media as well. Terrific. The book, once again, is called Optimist Fits, Igniting a Fierce Rebellion Against 
Hopelessness by Ben Corson. It's from Harvest House Publishers. So, and I'm sure the local Christian bookstore would also appreciate their business too. <laughs> For sure. Yeah. So whether you want to get the audiobook or the ebook, or you want to actually go to your local bookstore, however you want to consume it, we're just excited if, if you want to read it. That's awesome. Yes, it's everywhere. And it's going to help a lot of people, I'm sure, Ben. It's very creative, very accessible, but as you say, hope-filled. And uh, there's lots of fun to be had in the pages of Optimisfits. So we thank you very much, Ben Corson, for being with us today on Charisma Connection. Thank you so much. I really love you guys and keep doing what you're doing in the world. And thanks for being, you know, healing agents in the generation that needs it so badly. So I had a blast. Thank you so much. And I can't wait to uh, hopefully talk to you guys again soon. Excellent. Well, I'm Chris Johnson. And thanks for joining us listeners for this visit with Ben Corson on Charisma Connection. This episode is brought to you by the ebook Revelatory Combat by Ryan Lestrange. Revelatory Combat is a concise look into the prophetic ministry and the partnership between prophets and apostles. It provides clarity for the battle facing the church in this hour. Ryan Lestrange and Charisma Magazine are proud to offer you a year-long subscription of Charisma Magazine, as well as a download of Revelatory Combat for only $20. If you'd like to take part in this offer, be sure to visit combat.charismamag.com or call 1-800-749-6500 and mention the word combat. This has been a production of the Charisma Podcast Network. Steve and Joyce Strang are the founders and owners of CPN. Dr. Steve Green is the executive producer of the Charisma Podcast Network. We intend to honor God with every podcast and remain thankful to our advertisers and supporters who make these podcasts possible.